Welcome to episode 635 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And I'm wondering, this is that week, Josh, that week between New Year's and CES where nothing really happens. Do we have anything to talk about? I mean, I know what the answer to that is. <laughs> because you are an active participant in this. Right. You you do know that we do actually have news. I, I don't just show up. I do actually read our notes beforehand. Sometimes I contribute. Sometimes you do contribute. More than just what's going on in your entertainment center. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we do actually have some news because the trend over the last few years has been that some of the bigger companies start releasing some of their news early. It's usually not on their biggest products, but on some of their products. And it seems like that trend is getting even bigger. Bigger doesn't seem like the right word to use there. It's happening more. Yep. And that even includes what, I don't know, we'll, we'll get into it, but we're going to talk TVs, which is kind of like, we, we, we normally don't get the really cool TV announcements in, until CES actually starts. Because isn't that what CES is all about? Big TVs? I, I think so. Um, <laughs> you know, before we even get into this, though, I, I guess that does make me wonder. So, I mean, we're going to talk about high-end-ish TVs from major manufacturers, at least a couple, not all of them. Does that mean that LG is one of the ones we're about to talk about? Do we think that LG has an even bigger announcement saved for CES. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I hope they left something for the press to cover while they're out there and paid all that money to stay in hotels and all. <laughs> Probably like washing machines and refrigerators. I don't know. Maybe they've already announced those too. I just don't care about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. All right. Well, we'll dive into that, but we are going to hit news first because we don't have any feedback. So where should people have sent us feedback, Josh? That email address would be entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. All the rest of our feedback information will be at the end of the show. Uh, also, if you're watching this on YouTube, you could leave comments there. And while you're at it, click the like button and subscribe, of course. All right, let's jump into the news. And we're, we're going to start with Roku. So last year... Roku announced that they were going to start making their own TVs. And we were all like, oh, okay, but you've been working with TCL. Um, we'll, we'll see how this goes, I guess. And they basically put out some entry-level and some mid-level TVs, and they were fine. But this year, they're launching a new series, and it's the what they're calling the Pro Series. So this is what they would call their high-end TV series. I, I kind of want to feel like it belongs in air quotes, high end, because these aren't going to be ridiculously expensive TVs. We're talking 55, 65, and 75 inch models here that are going to top out at $1,500. And a $1,500, 75 inch TV, that's not super expensive. So what are you right. getting for this? The main thing that the Pro Series TVs gets you is better display technology. And if you remember back to last year, we talked a whole lot about mini LED, and that is what the Roku TVs 
in this Pro Series line are support are supporting. And as a reminder, what the heck is Mini LED? Because there's so many different TV technologies nowadays. Mini LED, it kind of is exactly what it sounds like. They are really, really small LEDs. So it's not quite as small as like OLED, where in the thing that makes OLED so amazing is that every single pixel is individually lit which means that every single pixel can be individually turned off. And that's not the, quite the case here, but it does mean that there's way more lights in this TV than a traditional non-mini LED TV would have. And what that means is that you can have more local dimming zones. They haven't said how many local dimming zones these TVs will have, but it could be hundreds, could be thousands. It's probably not going to be thousands on these TVs. They're not that expensive. But why does that matter? Again, think about what we always talk about when it comes to OLEDs. It's contrast. If you are looking at a at a movie and they pan across the sky and it is a dark black sky and there's a bright moon right in the middle of that dark sky, on an OLED, there will be black turned off pixels next to that white bright moon on an LED TV, they can't get that uh, in depth. So you always see a little bit of a halo of light in right. situations like that. And as these mini LED TVs, because they have more and more lights that they can turn on and turn off, you get less of that halo effect. So uh, far better actual contrast between the really bright things and the really dark things. So it's still not OLED, but it's a whole lot closer to OLED. They These TVs are also going to have what they call an AI smart picture mode. You're going to hear AI like a billion times throughout CES this year. More than usual. <laughs> right. And what they're, what they're proposing with this new feature is they're like, hey, most people never adjust their TV settings at all. They just leave it in the default, which looks terrible. Don't do that. And the people who care probably at least said it once. Like probably everybody listening to this show has at least tweaked their TV settings, maybe per input. Maybe you've got one for your, your Blu-ray player slash streaming box and one set of settings for your game console, maybe. With this AI smart picture mode, it theoretically does all of that for you by figuring out what the display setting should be based on what you're watching. We'll see how well it actually works in practice. Yeah, I, I feel like vendors, vendors, I feel like TV manufacturers have been saying that they've been doing this already with AI for years now. I think my LG supposedly does this. You hmm. know how I use that feature? I turn it off. I turn it off, right. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe maybe this will work for people, who knows. And like if you if you go over to your uncle's house and he's got one of these TVs and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is clearly on the default settings." Maybe at least just switch it to this mode and maybe it will be better, but you won't have to spend 20 minutes calibrating your uncle's TV for him. Yeah, but not just that, also turn off smoothing. Well, I mean, that's one of the settings that this could be tweaking. Like maybe it's turning off smoothing when you're watching a movie, but turning it on when you're watching sports, which 
I didn't know that that's the thing that people do, but maybe it does actually help with sports. I don't know. Maybe I should turn it on the next time I watch a hockey game. But that is always one of the first things I turn off. Right. <laughs> so the the other question that I have about this is if in the past, if you've wanted a TV that had Roku built in, you typically bought a TCL TV. And like we said at the beginning of this topic, they said last year they weren't here to compete with TCL, but now they're making even higher market TVs. And we haven't heard TCL's announcements yet. <laughs> Do we think TCL's done with Roku at this point? And maybe they're just going to go all in on Google TV? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, TCL has definitely flirted with different ecosystems. You may recall that years and years ago, we even talked about TCL being driven by uh, the engine that ran Media Center, that they uh, used some of the code inside it to drive what was going on in inside the TV. I, I think that TCL wisely has kind of played in different fields and will continue to do so. I'm not convinced that this really does compete with TCL. Now, I know that TCL does have some higher-end models in addition to the cheaper ones that we're used to seeing, but I don't think their sweet spot is this like mid-high model. Honestly, I think people buying TCL TVs in the US, at least, are buying them because they're cheap. Well, t TCL for the last few years has kind of dominated the, I, I want to say the value space, but I want to say that in a way that isn't condescending. Like, it, it's sure. not, not cheap. Like, if you're looking for the best TV for the value and you're spending more than $300 on a TV, yep. then I, I, I can't say the series names anymore because they've changed and now I can't remember what the, you know, what the sweet spot is there. But if you were like, I really want a higher refresh rate uh, and and pretty good picture quality, but I can't afford a, an LG OLED. Like they have been the TVs to get the last couple of years. Yeah, but kind of like Vizio, right? Yeah, but aren't I, they kind of like they competitors to Vizio? Well, no, right, right. I I agree, I agree. So I I don't know. I I just I feel like Roku's shooting higher than they're actually getting with this. We'll see how it lands, but I mean, what? They have speakers too, right? How popular are those? I don't honestly know. I, I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of, what's the right word, hope for this product line. I just don't think that people are looking to get a Roku-branded higher-end television. That just, I don't know why you would. There are so many good players in that space already. Yeah, I'll be real, real curious to see how this performs compared to a, a similarly spec TCL this year. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll wait to see what David Katzmeyer says over at CNET. And I'm probably required to say that I work for the same company that owns CNET. So there you go. But and I sh I'm probably required to say that I own stock in Roku. And I still don't think this is going to do well. <laughs> but for the record, you and I have been saying, go read David Katzmeyer's uh, reviews of TVs for more years than I've been working for the parent company. Yep, for sure. 
All right, well, let's stick with TVs and go to LG. And this was the one that surprised me. Like, I think that last year LG did announce their LED TVs prior to CES, but I think they waited for CES to talk about the new OLEDs. And that's not the case this year. They are talking about their, their well, all of their OLEDs, at least all of the ones that we know about. The, they, the, the new generation, they all have a four at the end <laughs> instead of a three like last year. So there's the C4, the G4, and the M4. If you're like, wait, there's an M series? Yes, there is an M series. You probably don't remember it because it's really expensive because right. the M series that they debuted last year is the one that has the trick box. It, it's all wireless. Like you plug all of your HDMI cables, your game consoles, all that stuff into this standalone box. And then it wirelessly beams the signal to the TV so that the only cord you have to have going into your TV is the power cable. That's what sets the M series apart from the rest of these. So not, and you pay for it. So like, it's not a very common TV. Yeah. Yeah. So the C4 and the G4 are the ones that we're more interested in. Both fantastic TVs. The C3 and the G3 were fantastic. The C2 and the G2 were fantastic TVs. They're basically always the TV to get every year. And that's probably going to be the same again this year. So the G4 and the M4 have new processors in them. They're calling these the Alpha 11 processor. The C4 still has the Alpha 9. I don't know what happened to the 10. Maybe the 10 was in the G3. I don't remember all of these things from last year. But the the G4 and the M4 with this new Alpha 11 processor, again, AI all over the place, su- supposedly AI-driven processing to make the video quality better, upscaling better, all of the stuff that we expect supposedly AI to be doing in TVs nowadays. I We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah. see. Um, see my disclaimers prior. Yeah, exactly. The, the one thing that's different that actually matters and that really stands out, I think, and I shouldn't say that this processor doesn't matter, but because maybe it does, but the, the thing that I think some people will be interested in is that like last year's OLEDs, one of the reasons we recommended them was they were 120 hertz native refresh rate displays. There were a couple of competitors, maybe only one, that pushed out a 144 hertz display. They're doing the same thing this year. Uh, the, the G4 and the M4 will go up to 144 hertz with NVIDIA G-Sync and AMD FreeSync Premium with HDMI 2.1 uh, inputs so that your... I mean, really, this is only useful for PC gaming. The the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5, they top out at 120 hertz. But if you've got a PC that can do 4K at 144 hertz, like, holy crap, that's one expensive computer for one thing. But here you go. Here is the best TV you can buy that supports that refresh rate. And that's about it. Like, I'm really curious to see if they've got something else major to announce. Like, and they have other TVs. They have have other LEDs and and all that stuff. I'm not even going to talk about them because we only really care about the OLEDs. Buy an OLED. That's always the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suspect that they're going to have some announcement because this is really just generational, right? This is, hey, we have our next gen and we've improved what we were already doing great. Maybe, maybe, you know, 
One thing that this announcement didn't really talk about is are they, at least not that I remember seeing, is are they tremendously brighter than previous year's models? Because that, that's always been the biggest limiting factor to OLED TVs is they just don't get as bright as their LED counterparts. So maybe there's a new series that's going to be debuting once the show floor actually opens and it'll be a whole lot brighter. It'll be like you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey blight, bright. You know, it's going to be <laughs> crazy, blinding bright. That's what I'm hoping for. All right. Burn your eyeballs bright. Really, who needs that? I don't know. I mean, you don't want the whole screen to be that bright, but for for true good HDR content, you know, when when the sun is shining, I want that to be crazy bright on the TV compared to other things. Sure. All right. So we're going to, I, because I knew Richard would yell at me if I didn't do it, I put the last news story in the gaming section because they're gaming monitors. I, yes, they are. But but they're still displays like it's basically just TVs that are smaller for gaming. So anyway, <laughs> so Samsung has new OLED gaming monitors this year. And uh, there's, there's really three that we're going to talk about. There is the G6, which is a 28 inch display, flat 1440p OLED with a refresh rate of 360 Hertz. And it's a 16 by 9 display, a traditional widescreen display, but it's OLED and it's 1440p and it's got crazy, crazy, crazy refresh. So, you know, if you are an esports player who needs the crazy high refresh rate, doesn't need the crazy high uh, resolution, and you still want the quality of OLED, there you go. If 28 is not big enough for you, they have a 32 inch model. It is the G8. It's also flat. This is not a curved display. This one is 4K, which frankly, at 32 inches, like it really ought to be 4K. Uh, this one, not quite as fast. It has a refresh rate of 240 hertz. And again, it's a traditional widescreen, a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. They've also revved the massive Samsung G9. This is their 49 inch curved OLED display. And this one has been upgraded to a 240 hertz refresh rate also. And when we say ultra widescreen, so when we say widescreen, we're talking 16 wide by nine high. This thing is 32 wide by nine high. So like same vertical height as, uh, you know, a, a monitor that you might expect there, but twice, literally twice as wide, 5120 pixels by 1440 pixels. These things are enormous, and it is a curved OLED at a 240 hertz refresh rate. Yeah, and just to clarify, you were talking aspect ratio 32 by 9. That wasn't inches. It is right. way wider than that because of that 49-inch <laughs> ultimate diagonal. It, this is I have such monitor envy with this. It's unbelievable. I have a 38-inch wide that I think is amazing down at my main desktop. And I use that for work and for other business and for my personal stuff too. But wow, wow, this is wow. <laughs> Do we yeah. know how much these are going to cost yet? Uh, somewhere slightly less than a million dollars. I, I don't know. 
they they haven't announced pricing for these things yet, but they are going to, like especially that G9 is going to continue to be ridiculously expensive. Now, one of the other things that I think is new with this year's model in in these G series gaming monitors is that they also work as smart TVs. They have speakers built in. They have Samsung's smart TV interface built right in. Uh, that also includes their cloud gaming functionality. So you can play Xbox cloud gaming right on the monitor without anything else hooked up to it. They're also HDR 400 uh, compatible. That does That's not the right word. That's the spec they have. That's not great. Like it's technically HDR, but it's only up to 400 nits of brightness. So that's not really actually all that bright compared to most HDR televisions that you see out there. Uh, and these, the at least in terms of the G8 and the G9, they are also AMD FreeSync Premium and NVIDIA G-Sync with two HDMI 2.1 ports in them. So these will be great once they come out later this year. They're just going to cost you for sure. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised it's not HDR10. I mean, didn't Samsung first introduce HDR10? Weren't they one of the first companies that were on board with that? Um, well, they probably do have HDR10. Um, what they probably don't have is Dolby Vision. Um, but when when I said HDR400, that is the Visa HDR standard for computer monitors. Okay. Where, uh, it, it's basically just HDR and then a number, which is the the max nits brightness. Right, but HDR10 is thousand nits brightness. Uh. I don't think HDR10 specifies a, a minimum brightness level, does it? No, it's it's a it's a not a minimum, it's a maximum brightness level. Hmm. Um, anyway, I it, it it'll be interesting to find out more about these. I'm just drooling over that big huge curved monitor that has no business being on a non-gamer's desk, but I still want one. <laughs> Oh, the other thing that these have that I didn't mention, but if you listen to Richard's other shows, you might be interested in these are Samsung monitors. They have a Samsung SmartThings hub built in also, which is kind of cool. Which is nice since you can't buy a Samsung SmartThings hub anymore. Not even the ones made by AOTech? Oh, yeah, sure. From another vendor. It's not branded Samsung, but yeah. But it's still SmartThings. That's all that really matters. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for the actual pre-CES news that we have for this week. And we weren't positive we were going to have any real pre-CES news to talk about. So we had also planned to talk about some of our predictions for what we expect to see this year. And so now we're going to jump into that. And neither of us really talked that much about TVs specifically, because I don't think either of us really expects TVs to change that much. I would love it if LG or Sony or Samsung would convince me that there's something new that isn't just, hey, look, 8K. Um, but I I don't expect that. So let's start with streaming related things. And my my first, this is kind of a prediction, kind of a hope, kind of a desire that we're finally going to get a new high-end Google TV slash Chromecast device, whatever Google wants to call the thing just something more powerful than the Google TV with Chromecast that is out there now. It doesn't have enough RAM. It doesn't have enough storage. I want a true like Apple TV competitor from Google. Yeah. 
For sure. No, absolutely. This is so desperately needed. I, and it doesn't have to be significant upgrades, right? They're selling their flagship now at discounted rates of like $30. So give us something that you'll sell for twice that. Give us something that would normally cost 100 and you'll discount to 70 And just even, again, just doubling, just double the RAM. Just give us, give us a better processor that's faster. And I would be all in. I would replace the Chromecast that I use for travel, the one that I use down at the rental property. I love this system, but it is too slow and too limited to be able to use it as my daily go-to. Yeah, yeah. You want to you go back and forth with these? Yeah, sure. Um, my prediction in this category is not a good one. My prediction in my first prediction in this category is that like we saw Sony PlayStation have problems with licensing for Warner content that I think is potentially working itself out. Yeah. But I don't know that we have a final answer on what's going to be available and what's not when. But um, I, I, I am predicting that another of the major content providers is going to eliminate previously purchased content from their users' libraries. I think this is a continuing problem that we're going to see as older contracts that didn't really account for the longevity of streaming content um, age out. And until they're all replaced with newer contracts where their content providers and content content um, licensees are hopefully smarter about this, that we're we'll, we're going to see more of it. And I think we're going to see another big one this coming year. I, I hope you're wrong. I mean, you obviously I hope, hope I'm wrong, wrong too, but you, you would hope that everybody would learn the lesson that, that Paramount and Sony learned. Again, you need to age out the old contracts. And until those licensing agreements are gone and replaced, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, because we have the outcome from the, I think it was the writer's strike that impacted how streaming was going to be, or that impacted streaming the most, I, I think that and the actor's strike the outcomes from that are going to impact future streaming agreements in a good way for consumers anyway, and for the talent behind it all. So right. it's just a matter of getting rid of all these old licenses first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, similar to my, my other prediction slash hope, if Google's not going to do it or heck, even if they do, I want to see NVIDIA put out a new device. The NVIDIA Shield TV is great. It is, it is still great, but I, I want something new. The NVIDIA Shield TV, I think, came out in 2015, and it hasn't really changed much since then. They've put out a couple of different form factors, but it hasn't meaningfully changed at all since the thing launched forever ago. The The thing that I think could, and, and I, I was talking about this with a coworker the other day, actually, uh, who listens to the show, thank you. And um, he he pointed out something really interesting, and this will be part of my my gaming uh, predictions too. We are likely going to see a Nintendo Switch successor this year. 
everyone's just calling it the Switch 2. It's we'll get into that in a second. But the reason why that's related is the Nintendo Switch and the NVIDIA Shield use the same processor. They use the NVIDIA Tegra. And it's it's an it's an old, old, old chip. And there's gotta be newer, better chips to to be going inside of all of these things. And so Maybe a new Nintendo and a new NVIDIA Shield TV. Sounds like a good pairing to me for 2024. I like it. I like it. Do I need to disclose that Edward has stock in NVIDIA? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so I want that to happen. All right. My next prediction in this category is I I am going to go out on a limb here. And I am going to say that some mainstream service, not something long tail, but something mainstream. Maybe it'll be YouTube, maybe, but not YouTube because they already do this, but YouTube TV, or maybe it'll be, uh, let's say something on Netflix or Amazon is going to offer some 8K content. And there might be someone out there who's raising their hand saying, wait a minute, but this thing out here And yeah, I know on YouTube, you can get 8K content. And I know that there are some lesser known services that are offering 8K content. I'm saying that I believe one of the mains, one of the top tens, if you will, is going to offer 8K content next year. Right. Like like a a Netflix original movie in 8K or something like that. Right. And if you remember... Netflix, as an example, was one of the first, if not the first, online service to offer Dolby Atmos content. So I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they'll also pioneer the next generation of video content. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's go audio. And I I wonder if Richard was a little bit surprised by me picking Bluetooth things. And, and I've actually got two Bluetooth things that I'm excited about. One of them we've talked about in the past, and that's Bluetooth LE audio. Uh, I believe it was announced last year. Heck, maybe it was announced two years ago at this point. Yeah, I think so. But it only just started actually showing up in some devices in 2023. And I'm really hoping that in 2024, we see much broader adoption of Bluetooth LE audio. And Because there's a bunch of benefits to it. It has uh, higher audio quality. It has better battery life. It has lower latency, which is really important for all of these people who are really getting into gaming, like hardcore gaming on their mobile devices and are only using the Bluetooth headphones to connect to their mobile devices. We need to see, you know, it's already part of the android spec at least in android 14 we need to see apple get on board i'm not sure if apple has it in the iphone 15 i honestly don't know now i need to go and check if not they need to get on board uh, because i remember many 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 years ago writing an article for the digital media zone saying i love bluetooth a2dp (laughs) what was a2dp that was when they <laughs> finally made Bluetooth stereo. Uh, when when Bluetooth wasn't listenable. Just, yeah, it wasn't just for you know mono headphone devices. It's it's what enabled stereo headphones, and it took years for Apple 
to finally include A2DP profiles in the iPhone. And once they did, the Bluetooth headphone market exploded. And so we will absolutely need to see Apple get on board with uh, LE Audio if they haven't already. I've got another Bluetooth one. How about I save it until after your prediction? Yeah, that's fine. I, I just want to follow up. I've been just kind of trying to see what I could find out on Google while you were talking about that. And apparently, Bluetooth LE is supported for hearing aids right now. So whether it's supported for other general audio listening devices or not, I do not know. Hmm. So, okay. yeah. All right. My prediction in this category is that we are going to see at least one, if not multiple, of the primary music services bump their prices. We've seen price increases in the video space now for the last couple of years. And I think maybe last year or the year before, we saw many, if not all or most of the audio services bump by about like 10%, bump a dollar right. up, right? I think their content libraries are getting so large right now and their uh, their content offerings are more significant. They are offering in many cases at no additional cost right now. Some are charging you for it, but higher resolution audio from, for example, Apple and Amazon. And there is a cost to hosting all of that and delivering all of that. So I think we are going to see a bump in prices, maybe just another dollar or two. I don't think it's going to be significant, but I do think it's going to reset the level that everyone ends up at eventually. It, it, it's another one where I hope you're wrong. And 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 I think there's there's more reason than just hope to think that you you might not be right on this one. And that's just that we don't see these audio services increase their rates nearly as frequently as we see it from all of the video services. You know, Netflix raises their rates multiple times a year, it seems. Uh, YouTube TV <laughs> raises their rates multiple times a year, and and most of the other services at least yearly. But last year was really the first time we've seen Spotify, Apple, uh, YouTube Music, all of them raise their rates kind of like maybe forever, like maybe the first time ever that they had raised rates. <laughs> and so if they're going to turn around and raise them again this year, that that I, I think it's very possible, but I don't want the music streaming services to get on the same rate increase cadence as all of these video services are. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. But there are many factors contributing to that. Not the least of which is just what inflation has occurred over the last couple of years. And you could argue that over the last few years, inflation has wiped out the 10% increase that they already bumped up by last year. Yeah. Yeah, oh. for sure. All right. Well, my other prediction here around audio is that another another cool thing from the Bluetooth group could really take off in some really cool ways. And it's a technology that they call AuraCast, A-U-R-A-C-A-S-T. And the idea is basically that you would have broadcast audio via Bluetooth. So 
the the easiest thing is probably to think of like going to a movie theater where instead of there being 50 speakers blasting you, everybody has headphones and they can control the audio at the level they want it, it to be at. So if you're a little bit hard of hearing and you need it to be louder, maybe you are a kid and you don't want it louder, you could control it entirely on your own. This this could work in movie theaters. It could work at airports. It could work all over the place. And the the way that they see this working is very similar to the way that you get your phone on Wi-Fi networks all over the place. And it, it would have to be that easy because right now, pairing your headphones to another device is a giant pain in the butt. But if you could just open up a menu on your phone and see all of the available Bluetooth audio broadcasting signals and pick one, you know, an example could be at an airport where there is a channel for the entire airport. And then there's also a channel for your particular gate. So maybe you're halfway across the terminal eating dinner. You could hear all of the gate announcements right on your earbuds. So I I think there's a ton of possibilities for uh, Bluetooth or a cast. And and I'm excited about basically all of them. Yeah, I, I like this idea. And I know when we talked about Orcast before, the thing that appealed to me was that in a theater, which I think is the just like the killer use case for this, I am already losing some of my hearing. And I think theaters are way too loud. So to be able to adjust the audio to a level that's more comfortable to me, but still allows me to hear hopefully the dialogue a little bit better than I can now in some cases would be a big, big win. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Okay. So we'll see what happens with Bluetooth LE audio and AuraCast this year. Uh, That's one, that's actually one of the things that I'm disappointed about that we're not going to be at CES this year. Bluetooth SIG is going to have a big thing at the show for AuraCast. Yeah. I would have loved to have checked out. All right. On to gaming. Richard, what are your... I'm just kidding. You don't have any... I don't have any. I have no gaming predictions. <laughs> All right. I already spoiled one. Nintendo Switch 2, it seems pretty obvious. It seems pretty likely. The The thing has been a smash success ever since it launched, but it is very much overdue for a replacement. The big concern, of course, will be the Nintendo Wii was an amazing success. And then the follow-up, the Wii U, was a complete dud. It didn't do well at all. Don't do the same thing <laughs> with the Switch. With with the Switch, I think they basically end up sticking with the same form factor. I agree. They, you know, you, you could argue that the Switch is the reason that on last week's episode, I was talking about how big of a trend in 2023 portable gaming became with the the Steam Deck and the the ROG Ally and the Lenovo Legion Go and and all of these devices and so it totally makes sense that Nintendo sticks with this portable form factor and and just makes it more powerful. Now, Nintendo always does something crazy with with the with the Switch it was that it was this portable device with the the detachable Joy-Cons, and I think they probably do that. And and the Joy-Cons were also special in that they had like really, really impressive haptic feedback. 
we'll see what they end up doing with the Switch 2, but they'll do something. They always do something crazy, and it usually works out well. So we'll see. I expect that'll come out, you know, third, third or fourth quarter of the year and will be awesome. And this year I'm going to learn my lesson. Like w- with the last few, the last couple of Nintendo consoles, I've been like, you know, I'm just going to wait until they go on sale. Nintendo <laughs> stuff doesn't go on sale. Nintendo yeah. is the Apple of the video game yeah. ecosystem. So if you're excited about the Switch 2, just buy it when it comes out. <laughs> All right. Well, a, a couple of other uh, quick ones. Uh, one, I I think it's likely that we at least get an announcement of an Xbox refresh, um, you know, so, some form of of new version of the Xbox Series X, like a more powerful Xbox than the Series X currently is. This totally. would be uh, similar to when Microsoft unveiled the Xbox One X late in the Xbox One generation and PlayStation did the PlayStation 4 Pro. I don't really want them to do this. I don't want to buy another Xbox, especially as I'm probably going to want to buy the new Nintendo <laughs> and I don't want to buy two game consoles on the same time. It's not like I would have to, but I don't know. Like the the Xbox Series X, the PlayStation 5, they're really hitting their stride finally. Like I don't think we need new devices yet. I, I, That's why they'll do it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So along the same lines, though, one thing that I do want to see all of the console manufacturers, including whatever Nintendo ends up doing, is to come out with a new generation of controllers that for the analog thumbsticks use HAL sensors. HAL effect thumbsticks, is, it's another technology, another name for the same thing. It's a different way. It's basically, I believe it's magnetic sensing of the thumbstick position. And the reason we all actually should want those is HAL effect thumbsticks don't suffer stick drift. That's a lot of words that you have to really enunciate well. Like stick drift is has been a huge problem really across the board uh, on like everything. It was a major problem with Nintendo Switch Joy-Cons, but even Xbox and PlayStation controllers have dealt with this to less of an extent than the Switch controllers. Let's just start using the newer technology and say goodbye to stick drift. Of course, the cynical response would be but then how would they charge you so frequently for buying replacement controllers? (laughs) But I think just giving us better controllers would be really nice. There's lots of other reasons for us to buy extra controllers. Okay. I don't know anything about what you just talked about. So (laughs) I'm going to assume that that's important. Okay. It is. It is if you don't want to replace your controllers all the time. All right. Because they're moving on their own. All right. So... That's it for our predictions for this year, uh, predictions slash hopes. Let's wrap up the show the way we normally do by talking about what's going on in our entertainment centers. So Richard, what's up in your entertainment center? And I know every time we go through this, I say not a lot, really. Well, not every time, but many times. And this time, definitely not a lot. So watch more of Lessons in Chemistry that is continues to get so good and We are watching more episodes of Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Also really, really enjoying that. I watched another episode each of The Courtship of Eddie's Father and The Bob Newhart Show. And that's it for television. On the ebook front, 
I have continued listening to Outlive, and I specifically looked up the author's name this time since I got it wrong last time. It is Peter Adia or Dr. Peter Adia. So uh, it's a really good and interesting book about dealing with the challenges to longevity. So as I am aging, I am looking forward to maybe, you know, not declining rapidly. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, it, it's funny that you bring this up again tonight because just before dinner, Jen was telling me about a new story that she saw of a couple who has been married for 80 years. Wow. Yeah. They're like 102 and 103 years old or something like that. Wow. Centenarians. That's right. Wow. And, and, and she immediately joked like, well, we'll never see that. And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking we have a decent chance of living that long. Like health technology and medicine continues to advance. You know, if we can stay healthy, like by doing smart things, like staying active and, and all of that sort of stuff, that's a possibility. And we were 23 when we got married. So if we live to 103, that's 80 years. There you go. There's your goal. Hope your retirement plan well, is... Well, that's the other problem, right? <laughs> Aligned. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Well, in my entertainment center, uh, really... Well, the only TV has been more of the Expanse season three and football. It was a, it was an interesting week for me uh, in football. The Lions should have won their game. Whatever refs, you suck. Uh, Michigan did win their game. Ah, that was such a great college football playoff game. And I will be talking about the college football championship game on next week's show because Michigan will be playing for their first national championship since 1997 next Monday. So now you know what I'll be doing next Monday. Uh, and then on the gaming side, of course, some more Forza, some more NHL. But I finally got Gia to give Minecraft Dungeons another try. She had been wanting to play something else with me. And I said, you know, you really like Minecraft. Let's try Minecraft Dungeons again, because it's basically Minecraft Diablo. And because I always joke with her, I'm like, we could play Diablo. Diablo's got uh, split screen or not split screen uh, content. And no, she would have nightmares for the rest of her life if she played Diablo. Yeah, don't do that. But but yeah, but she she did get into Minecraft Dungeons and she's loving it this time around. So probably be playing a lot more of that. If you've got a kid who's into Minecraft and you want them to branch out a little bit, Minecraft Dungeons is a great way to do it. It's a good game. And then on books, I don't think I had started this last time we recorded, but I finished it since the last time we recorded it because it's good and it's not super long. A novel called The Extinction Trials by A.G. Riddle. Uh, it's it's sci-fi-ish. I don't really want to say much about it um, because I think I would have a hard time talking about it without spoiling interesting things. It does have some pretty major plot twists that you won't necessarily see coming. It's got some of the into like, do you remember the the first time you watched like the first and second Matrix movies and you were like, this is really interesting stuff to really think about as right. a possibility. There was a lot of that with this book. 
Um, cool. And and not the same concept exactly as as the Matrix. It was really good. This is for our our workbook club uh, group also, and I can't wait to talk about it with the the rest of the people in the group. Jen read it in a day, <laughs> and and also really liked it. So yeah, it's called the Extinction Trials by A. G. Riddle. Nice. Yeah. All right, and one last announcement: all of our feeds finally work. I won't get into all of the details about what broke them, but uh, if you were trying to listen to the show on Pocket Cast or on Spotify, we eventually found the problem and we fixed it. And hopefully the fix doesn't crash our web server. Uh, it hasn't so far. <laughs> so hopefully we're good there. But everything is all fixed again inside of Pocket Cast and Spotify. Anybody who is listening on Apple Podcast, you are fine. Uh, so yeah, thanks. Thanks to, we're glad to have you back. Uh, well, and thanks to you for chasing that down because that was some serious sleuthing on your part. Uh, That was harder than I expected it to be. And, uh, reminded me of things that we've done to this podcast feed that I didn't even remember that we had previously done to this (laughs) podcast feed. Yeah. So yeah, glad glad it's working again. Uh, maybe you're hearing this and also noticing. Oh, there's three extra episodes of this on my phone to listen to. Well, there you go. That's why they're totally worth listening to. You still should. They are. They are. They weren't just news stories. So that you know, we had our, our year end recap, and there were there was some good stuff in there. So listen to all all of the episodes that you missed, of course. And then we had a done, really really good rant from. Josh about the game awards. So oh, don't miss that. Yeah, that was fun. Uh that was like episode 631, I believe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So once you're done listening to all of those episodes, what you're going to want to do is send us some feedback and you've got a bunch of ways you can do that. I'm on X at Josh Pollard, so is the website uh at Digimedia Zone. Richard is on Mastodon. I'm over there too. We're just our names, Richard Gunther and Josh Pollard on Mastodon if you're over there. We also do this show live. I used to say that it's on Tuesdays, but at least for the next couple of months, we need to change it up due to my schedule. We will be doing our live shows Wednesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, typically. Uh, Also, check us out on YouTube. We're trying to push a lot of this out to YouTube, and if you're watching on YouTube right now, click that subscribe button. And you can leave us comments there too uh, for for feedback for us to read on a future episode. But that's going to do it for episode 635. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye. Welcome to episode 635 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the Dig... Wait, is that right? Am I wrong? Did I put the wrong episode number on this? Oh, geez. As as we're recording this? No, it is right. Okay. <laughs> well, there's uh, our outtake for the end. Professionals here. Let me tell you.